Hey there, it's DM Scott. That's right, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you, the chubby guy wearing the This Is How I Roll t-shirt. Why don't you ditch that ratty old t-shirt that's two sizes too small for you? Where'd you get that? Baby Gap? Head on over to our Merchant Morris store on our epic new website. Grab yourself some Dungeon Masters Dojo logo wear. You won't regret it. Rock that t-shirt like the nerd boss you are. It's sleek and it's black, and everyone knows that black is slimming. Hell, I look like a slender 3XL when I'm wearing this black shirt. Not only will you look deceptively less chunky, but with that bold red and white logo, you'll look like a superhero. And who doesn't want to look like a superhero? So head on over to the DungeonMastersDojo.com merchant more to fill your bag with our swag. See you next time in the dojo. Ooh, cupcakes. Don't touch them. Why? They're targets. Targets? What? I'm about to send out a series of psychic blasts from my medulla oblongata to obliterate those cupcakes. They're about to be vaporized. Stand clear. It's Psionics this week with me, Hugh Rod Johansson from the Hybrid Theory Podcast on the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Support the Dungeon Masters Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we want to know how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is by buying the DMD a beer, so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us upgrade and replace equipment. Head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the DMD and buy us a beer, or three, or five. Don't forget to say something nice or mean. We don't care. You're buying us a beer. Now on to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters and players alike. We hope to bring you tips and tricks to elevate your game and develop the art of dungeon mastery. I'm your host, Louis Aponte, and these are your Dungeon Masters, Scott Labby and Bill Robitaille. Let's head to the dojo and see what they have in store for us today. Hey Scott, hey Bill, how's it going? It's going great. I don't know why, but I feel a headache coming on. It's all of my... My, my brain hurts. Yeah, I'm leaking uh, psychic energy. I got a porous medulla oblongata. <laughs> got a porous something. It's not a medulla oblongata. <laughs> Say that again. I can't. It's laughing too much. We got, a, uh, we got a guest with us today. It's a long time coming, so we're very happy that we finally got schedules to merge. And probably more importantly, a really cool topic to discuss with them. I had to call him in here because, as everybody knows, Bill hates psionics, so I need uh, I need some backup on this one. We we met this guy at Gen Con a few years ago. He ran a game where we played 80s action icons. It was campy, weird, explosive, and uh, just as fun as the 80s. So it was here that we were introduced to Hybrid and the Ite Gaming Engine. And after after that, our take on gaming changed very radically that day. Interested in hybrid? Curious about Ite? 
head over to Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash hybrid RPG for more information on that. If you like gaming podcasts, then check this one out. Hybrid Theory Podcast. You can find that over on Apple Podcasts. With us today is the ultimate 80s action hero himself, <laughs> Hugh Drott Johansson. Welcome to the dojo. How you doing, Hugh? Are we having fun yet? I'm doing very well today. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> my pet photos are quivering, waiting to talk to you about one of my favorite topics. Psionics. Yeah, I got back up today. Uh, Bill gets cranky when you talk about psionics. Flashback to the old days. Yeah, he's got a. My medulla oblongata could kick his medulla oblongata's ass. So that's probably why he's a little sensitive about about that sort of thing. Um, it's all the. <laughs> do, do you you realize that uh, primal anger, rage, and aggression comes from the medulla oblongata? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just. I've been, yeah, called a, say, I've been called a big oh, ape more than once. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, you gotta, we're going to have to teach you the frontal, temporal, state, and the uh, limbic system and all the various portions of the brain so you know yeah. which parts of your abilities will come from. Uh, believe it or not, I did do well in anatomy and physiology, but that was a very long time ago. <laughs> so uh, let's, get, uh, let's, let's let our listeners get to know you. I think that's important. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna start with some pretty heavy topics. Uh, would you rather? Let's play a little game called Would You Rather. Would you rather spend a year living in a nudist colony with Rosie O'Donnell, or a year living in a shipping container with a flatulent Jack Black? <laughs> wow, those are both very heavy topics. Uh, I have to say, Rosie O'Donnell in the nudist colony, um, just because there's a lot of gamers there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just you otherwise it'd just be you and Jack in a uh a lot uh, of gas. Yeah, in an enclosed space. The death of yeah. the ozone layer. That doesn't sound very entertaining to you. I know, a nice guy, but ideally you would want the flatulent Jack Black at the nudist colony. Yes. Because he'd be fantastic to help run the NPCs. Yes, and a naked Rosie O'Donnell in the shipping container. <laughs> Preferably with you on the other side of the door. <laughs> or no lights. Sorry, Rosie. <laughs> we'll be on the view tomorrow. That'd be yes. the best thing that could happen to us is uh, <laughs> an, an angry rant from her on the view about us. Um, you know what's funny is I actually based an NPC voice on her once. It took me about 10 minutes to get the New York accent, and then it turned into a mutilated Chicago accent, and I gave up halfway through the session. <laughs> Do you, where do you practice your accents? When I'm working. Yeah, I I do it in the car, so it looks like it looks like I I need medication. Yeah. Uh, pe- people. Yeah sometimes, will, yeah, sometimes I'll do it when I'm uh, when I've got a problem at work, and I'm spouting obscenities, and I'd rather obs- uh, spout the obscenities in somebody else's voice instead of my own. That makes sense because you didn't just point at somebody else going, "It wasn't me; it was him." <laughs> yeah. Now, now this question, and uh, I thought of the 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 endless possibilities that could come from you about this, <laughs> and I know I will not be let down. <laughs> what would be the creepiest thing you can say while passing a stranger on the street? Okay, 
The first question I have for you is, previous for me? What? what where, where did that come from? I, that was scary. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> um, I think that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And to me, the creepiest thing, I thought about this a little bit while, we, while I was waiting for the intro and whatnot, and um, I think that the, the creepiest thing is the thing I say to my kids' friends when they come over. I'll say, hey, how's it going? Want to be my friend? <laughs> I'm actually going to use that one. <laughs> Did they come back? Or, hey, I've been watching you. Then let the awkward silence do the rest of it. How does that work on boyfriends? Oh, that's... <laughs> well, I've been um, given rules on what I am and am not allowed to say to the boyfriends. Oh, that's unfortunate. Because <laughs> unfortunately, I, I don't have much of a filter. I have, the, I have even less of a filter than most dads. So I'll get into the uh, percentage chances of... of Percentage chances of bad things happening if you're out past 10. Or the percentage chances of what happens if the two of you are alone in a room together and mom and dad don't come down every 10 minutes to interrupt. That sort of thing, you know. Yeah. I, I have no problem with that. No. I, <laughs> but I did have two nieces at a very, very young age. And when they would come over, they would bring friends over and have parties over here along with the boys. And they said, yeah, you don't have to worry about my father. You have to worry about my uncle. <laughs> They're like, why? And they'd walk them over to the, the gun safe that's right behind Scott here and go, um, there's things in there that can hit you from half a mile away. Yeah, that me. That's where, I, <laughs> that's where I'm kept. <laughs> and, it, and it's rampant medulla oblongata. It's a, it's a little snug now that I'm getting older and, and a little bigger. <laughs> a little? And we have to change the air fresheners much more often. Much more often, yeah. <laughs> Brings us back to the Jack Black, Rosie O'Donnell thing. Um, when did you start playing tabletop RPGs, and what drew you towards the hobby, and what are some of your favorites besides hybrid? Uh, I was going to say hybrid's my favorite. Um, let's see. 83, I had no friends. Uh, I, was, I, was, I, was one of those, I grew up in a small farm town where people laughed at me for carrying books around, and, you know, it's just – you know, why would you go to college? You can just go work on the farm kind of thing, you know. And uh, one, of these, one, of the, one of my friends came to school one day after uh, winter break, and he had the red box set, the classic Bethany red box, right? And uh, he uh, showed it to me. I'm like, this is great. So I went to the mall. I rode my bike to the mall. I got the red box set, and I came back. And uh, I would sit there. It turned out because... Even though I was in elementary school, we had junior high, I had junior high classes and I had to walk between the two classes every day. And um, they were on a 35 minute time shift. So what happened is I go from my, my fourth grade class to my sixth grade class, but I have to sit there for 45 minutes in the lunchroom and wait for the class to start. Luckily I had my red box box set. So what I would do is I'd make like 10 characters out and then I'd have them fight a red dragon over and over and over again. It was like a Monte Carlo simulation. It's like, okay, red dragon, up, character number one, gone. Character number two, gone. Character number three. And after about the 23rd, 24th character, I would finally beat the dragon. I'd be like, okay, I'm whooped. That's it. <laughs> that was it. So 
I don't know. I like um, my favorite games, um, other than hybrid, of course, is I like Fudge. I think uh, yeah, that was that was by far my one of my favorite role playing games. I think Fate's taken Fudge in a direction that's a little less crunchy and a little more story oriented for my taste. Um, I've talked about this. <laughs> I've talked about this before on other situations in my podcast, but I like a combination of tactics and story. And I feel that a game that goes in both, that allows swing in both directions is what I most enjoy. Games that are very tactical, I, if I wanted to play that, I'd play chess. Games that are very story-driven, if I wanted to do that, I would LARP. So to me, that's kind of the realm that I like to fit into. So I, if I had to, of all the versions of Dungeons & Dragons that there are in all the old-school revivals and all of that there are, I would say that probably my favorite uh, is the rules encyclopedia version of Beckney because it has all the extra stuff, but you can shred all that stuff too if you want and just play the raw rules. Plus it's got pseudo psionic monk in there, which is kind of nice. That's so. arguably uh, one of the best versions of D and D out there. That was a very well done uh, version of D and D. I yeah, it. I, for D and D, I like that one. But uh, you know, I played I like I played a lot of systems. I tend to shy away from um, dice pool systems because I feel their the action resolution is too slow for those systems. And dice that use more, more than two or three dice to resolve anything, they're a little too slow for me. I'm impatient and old, so <laughs> <laughs> one or two die rolls, I'm good. You know, advantage disadvantage from fifth edition. That's 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 as that's as good as I get. After that, I start falling asleep. So, no champions for him. Nope. Yeah, yeah. We I tried hero. I tried uh, uh, what's the other one? Um, symbol uh, riffs, and uh, you know a lot of those guys. As I, I used to think it was cool to create systems and add systems, but I found over the years that I preferred the system light stuff better and. Um, another one of my favorites is uh, von, Adventures of Baron von Munchausen, which is barely a role-playing game. There's no dice at all. Um, but that one is fantastic. That one's very hybrid. That one's very, 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 uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Co- collaborative. And I like that. So those are some. So I'd say Fudge and Baron von Munchausen are probably two of my favorite games. All right. Now that we're all warmed up, uh, here we go. Let's get on topic and talk psionics. All right. What do you think? Does psionics have a place in D&D? And if so, why? No. Thanks for joining us. All right. Well, you know, that concludes. Oh, I'm sorry. You weren't talking to me. No. I would be interested in why you don't think it belongs, Bill, before I answer the question. No, no, no. You first. Oh, you know, they say the guy that goes first loses. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it does have a place. Well, when you say D&D, do you mean D&D as a system or D&D as a genre or D&D the game world? Because well, each one of those is a, three, is a different question. Yeah, I, right? I would, um, you know, barring the game world, because, you know, depending on what game world you know, you delve into, of course, psionics does have his place, particularly in, in Dark Sun. Um, but uh, as a game, as a genre, let's start as a game first. 
as a game, yes, it does. Um, but second edition and third edition did this really cool thing where they basically said, or they said, look, uh, you can treat psionics as another type of magic system, or you can treat it as an external system. And they talked about how to direct the game using one paradigm versus the other, right? Um, but if you're going to use it as a, just another magic system, you might as well just use the magic system. There's no sense in having the additional system. It's, it, it serves no purpose. If you want to create something different, however, then psionics definitely has a place. I actually talked about this in my podcast, but basically I treat psionics as a very scientific phenomenon. You know, my background is biochemistry and neurophysiology. So, so when I wrote my original systems, I based it, I totally shredded everything I learned from every other game system when I based it specifically on that. So if you want to have a game where you want to have a system that can um, be a nice counterpoint to a magical system that has a different flavor, it's fantastic for that. And that's how I would I would say it would fit in. Um, if you're going to go with a group of people that don't want to go with that paradigm, you're better off just building a psionicist class, but make them specialists in certain magical spells and be done with it. So does that answer the question or? Yeah. Um... What about what about the genre? Do you feel it's the same way for the genre as it is the game, or is there is there something different about the genre itself? Well, the fantasy genre has always had um, people that use mental abilities. I mean, but if you look at look at Harry Potter, <laughs> right? Harry Potter, you have your uh, occlumens and occlumency, and they treat it just as another magic. So even, you know, and, and of course, look at the spells, you know, the enchantment and the charm spells. So the question of whether um, abilities such as telekinesis, telepathy, things like that, it fit in the genre, that's a non-starter. I mean, that's a, that's a non-starter. Absolutely, those things belong in there. Um, it really comes down to what, whether, what you want to portray in the game you're playing. You know, we tend to think of psionics as, well, psionics as futuristic. So if you want to have a futuristic mix into your fantasy genre, that's a fantastic mix, right? Um, I also think it's good in the fantasy genre is it goes towards between the 1600s and the uh, Victorian era. In that period of time, the golden age of discovery, where you're going from alchemy to chemistry, I think if you're running games in that time frame when firearms are starting to evolve and things like that, I think that it fits within that genre too. I don't think necessarily psionics fits in the 1200 to 1400, 1600 area of time frame, but I do think that there's a definite place within the fantasy genre for psionics. Well put. That makes sense. I thought so. I thought yeah, that's really well put. How do you feel about that? Are you one over? No. <laughs> how, how come? I haven't seen psionics done well yet because it it unbalances the game too easily because you have all kinds of offense and you have no defense against uh, uh, any of the psionic abilities unless it is treated like, like you said, a, a magic, a different form of magic. But if it's treated uh, outside the rules in all by itself, you read all these different effects and there are no defense against them. And it's too easy for someone to run rampant with the game, the other characters, 
Um, Lou's over here with a, a semi smirk on his face because he's notorious for that kind of stuff. Um, and I found it it just simply outbalances outbalanced the game each and every time I seen it played. Oh, that's <laughs> why so I got to play hybrid psionics. <laughs> well, like I said, I haven't seen it done correctly or or yeah. well yet. Now that might yeah, change might with fifth edition. <laughs> that might change with fifth edition. But up to this point, I have not seen it done right and or well. And all it does is just screw up every game it's ever been in. I liked it. I know because you're the one screwing up the game. I think the. <laughs> I think in AD and D, particularly, I don't know a lot about psionics in in third edition or 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 beyond, but in AD and D, I know it seems like they tried to balance it as best they could by making it a mandate to have what was it like an eighteen intelligence? I forget what it was, but and, it was up, it was high. Yeah, and then there were psionic yeah, points. I, I think you had to spend. It, it, you had to actually, yeah, roll on a table to uh, uh, to get some psionic abilities. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, zero and first. first, first Zero and first edition were fails on that. It was just yeah. added on. If you look at the history, you know, they added it on. And even Gary didn't like uh, anything based on points. Um, and so it makes it makes sense that it came from someone else. And then they tacked it on because back then, you know, they were kind of doing what I used to do in the 90s, what we've all done at one time or another, where... We uh, just, oh, I saw that in a movie. I want to make it happen. I saw that in a movie. I want to make it happen. So it just felt like that. It wasn't until second edition came along that they tried to balance it. They did a pretty good job, but um, there were, but it still was not considered a core part of the game. It was still written as an add-on system. It, it and then yeah. uh, third edition tried to build it directly in using the third edition mechanics. But uh, we talk, I've heard you guys talk about the third edition mechanics before, and uh, – they tend to get a little bit uh, heavy towards the metal magic and the psionic side. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they weren't done particularly well there either. I think that, uh, I think people don't know what, people don't know what to do with them. You know, I, 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 that's the feeling I get, you know? Yeah. Whether or not they fit neatly into your fantasy campaign setting, uh, whether or not they have a place, what do I do with them? How do I portray a character? How do I, um, how do I how do I run a table with one or two characters? I think no, that's what abilities? it really is. I think a lot of DMs at the, at least because when I played it was a two point five. You're right. And um, the few tables I played as when I played a psionicist, um, I don't think the DMs were really prepared for it, so they didn't know how to handle it. So yeah, I I was overpowered because they didn't do their homework either. But it was right. tough. It was it was tough. I mean, because it yeah. it's like, oh, well, I can. I, at a particular level, I can teleport someone to another destination as long as I can see that destination. Okay, well, I can see the moon. That's true. I, I can see that crater on the moon. All right, I'm going to send them there. But I'm not yeah. overpowered. <laughs> and I've had players try that. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I desperately like the idea of psionics. It just hasn't been done well. And I would like to see it done well. I would like to see the ability with people with mental magic. But every, every incar- incarnation that I've seen has, has just run afoul because it doesn't look, it looked like they're trying to monkey wrench it into an existing system. Well, I would say that no, that would normally be the case. But I think 5E is uh, slowly introducing it with the new class. You got the rogue class, you got the fighter class. 
Uh, you got the those um one of the the, the caster classes also you know the sorcerer bringing, that has I think that. so I can't remember which one it is but they're just bringing in bits and pieces right now. Excellent, thank you for opening that can of worms for me. Um, now we have a brand new system where everyone, including your cat, can cast goddamn magic now. All right, there is no class. You have to fight to get a class that doesn't cast magic or have some magic like abilities and now we're going to once again take mental magic and and force it down everyone's throat along because god forbid if you can't make some kind of effect happen with you know a spell or or something like that so now we're just gonna muddy the magical waters even more with psionics he's he's salty today this is this is a triggering topic for bill I took a blood pressure pill just before I came downstairs just because I knew this was going to set me off. Should take another one. I I think 5th edition I I like it but the more they add to it the more it's just turning into a magic heavy system. No idea. You guys are listening to my podcast, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> I got um, I have a I have a couple of episodes coming up actually about that. One of them's called weaponless magicless weapon damage actually. Um, but, uh, I won't talk about that, but what I will say is your points are solid. I think that one of the problems you run into is directors aren't comfortable with them. Yep. Um, so because they aren't comfortable with them, kind of like, I'm not comfortable with magic when I'm running my five E game, I just like, you guys tell me what happens. I don't even care. You know, the, the, the abilities in, in, in Dungeons and Dragons, and, and it's always been this way. They're based on tactical effects, mm-hmm. Right. And so because they're based on tactical effects, a lot of, of what's beautiful about the game is lost on that tactical basis. Um, we've talked about that with hybrid before, where it's not a matter of rolling the hit and doing damage. It's that description and the intent that's more important than the actual damage that you do when you're playing hybrid, right? And that's what I'll do when I'm running my 5e game. It's great that you can do, you know, 1d10 points of damage, but we're really happy. Sure, you're going to use 2d10 for your ray of frost but what's to stop you from taking that ray of frost and making a little tiny chair and sitting in it and rolling around in the pot in a pond right you don't see that in the rules right <laughs> why can't why can't i do that because the rules aren't written with that in mind right the rules are written tactically and so if everything's written tactically that's the frame of mind that that secondary step beyond the source of magic or what it comes from gets lost by the tactical descriptions and the directors will get lost because they're thinking oh god what are they going to do to my bad guys? And to me, I would challenge the directors, and I would say, look, these exist. Make some bad guys that use these same abilities and hit them first. Learn them well. Learn them hard. Hit them hard. Kill a couple of player characters. Then you'll get to see the fear on their faces. Then, of course, they're going to want to play, and then that will happen is it will engage the group, and then you can all learn it together. Right. The problem is that one side or the other doesn't learn them. The other point is if you're in your session zero and you don't discuss the genre of the game, then you've lost your opportunity to introduce something unique or new to that as well. Absolutely you know, true. You're yeah. have, you know, that, that, so to me, and then additionally, like you said, to your point, Bill, well, I can see the moon. Why can't I do that? Why can't I go there? Um, I can do 10 D 10 points of damage, but what does that mean to knocking down a, a stone block, right? There's a lot of things that are tactical. And if you go at it from the literal to literal tactical point of view, then you miss out on all the wonder and the beauty that Cyanus could really be. 
You know, I, yep. we had a psionicist in the game I'm running now, and there's no, in a third edition, they'd say you have effects. Like, you can make colored beans cut out of your head and stuff. To do, but I didn't do any of that. What I did is you feel, you know, the director's job is to describe what happens during a psionic attack. It's not enough to say mental blast for 10 d 10 points of damage. But if you're saying, oh, my gosh, you can feel as if, the fluid around your brain and your skull is catching on fire and burning you from the outside in. And the nose, the blood is coming from your nose and your ears. Now psionics is scary. Now psionics is something much different from magic than I, I hit you for five to 10 points of damage. So uh, a lot of that has to do with the, it's the director's fault. And then the other fault is again, it's, it's, this is one of my beefs with D and D is the, um, the everything's magical and everything's tactical aspect that you're saying. I, I 100% agree. Everybody's freaking magical. Everyone's a freaking furry. I mean, what the heck? Why can't we just have people with blood and, 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 and iron and wood hacking each other pieces and trying to beat their will into a world that doesn't want them there? What happened to that? Yeah. We're not allowed to do that anymore? Yeah. And that's, and that's a shame. You know, where's the uniqueness of a particular character class, right? Where's the, uh, why do you yeah. need a cleric if if everybody can can heal, or why do you need well, yeah, you know a wizard if everybody can cast magic right. missile? Or the reason for that is, is um, I think it's because of if this is to me, all these games are starting to remind me of um your MMO RPGs. Yep, and I think that's what the masses really want. And so these companies are giving them what they want because that's it's what it's following. Yeah, well, it, 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 all the characters are being homogenized. The only thing that's different is the skin. And that's what it is in an MMO. Yeah. Yep. So, right. and that's where it's actually, you know, a lot of this is based on. You know, all these new characters that I even, uh, we went over, you know, you're the new fighter. He's, you're, you're, you're like a Jedi Knight now. So they're baiting, that's from a game. Um, you're Rogue. Same thing. These are all from games. You know, they can all heal. Same with the bards. It's it's all in the video games. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think a lot of this is coming from. Yeah. And then going back to the psionics, it's because it's because magic's so on it everywhere. What do you need psionics for? What do you need it for? You've already got everybody else has got everything else. There's no reason for it. Yeah. You know. Because, I, I mean, because I would like Professor to see some, X is cool. Yeah, I would like to yeah. see psionics back in the game. But like Bill yeah. said, if and yes, to Bill's point, when we were playing. I was a dick sometimes. I was a little. Um, sometimes. Yeah. Fortunately, he's changed his ways at the gaming table. Yeah. Yes. Back then, it was 87% of the time he was a dick. Now he's only 72% a dick. <laughs> wow. Maybe I should leave the room. I feel like I've entered. <laughs> he's mellowing with age. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for, our, for our listeners, there was some terminology that may have been thrown out there that you um, uh, you you may not be familiar with. Um, for our guest, Huge Rot, he's a director, not a game master, not a dungeon master, but that's not, not a storyteller. That's, he's a director. That's the the yeah. the title. So it, uh, the director uh, does the same job as like a DM or a GM or a storyteller or or whatever. Judge. But yeah, yeah. yeah, but what what he does very 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 well. Yes, is uh, setting the scene mm-hmm. and the description, and that's that really like it does a lot for the game, you know when 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 the scene is set, and you can see it in your mind's eye. 
Um, I know we had fun. We embraced it. We had a blast. We sure did. We yeah. embraced it. <laughs> we had a blast. It was it was one of the quickest four hour sessions I've ever ever been at. I forget the name of the poor individual who was trying to keep track of the quotes, and we were we were firing them out faster than he could write them. <laughs> it was a it was it was a fantastic time. Something I look forward Thanks. to doing again in the yep. future. Um, Thank you very much. I had fun. You know, it's always fun having newbies. You know, they were play testing that. That was the one that we were play testing for my next uh, for my next convention when conventions open up again. But uh, you guys have run a couple of my other games. It's pretty yeah. much all. all the, it gets a little bit crazy and over the top. So why yeah. not? It's a, it's a good sure. time. Yeah, to Bill's point, though, um, Bill, you've seen the way things can go over the top in my games, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you would never say that I've, anything is overpowered or out of control. No, not at all. Right? And that's with abilities that have much looser standards than the Psionics in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Yep. And so the question becomes, and I, I guess I do keep coming back to the, the Psionics, the overpowered argument. Um, to me, the overpowered argument has never been one that I worried about as a, as a, direct, as a dungeon master or a director, um, because I feel that um, your job as a director is to challenge the players, and their job is to push you as far as they can. You know, if, if you can't react on the fly, then the way I feel about it anyway is like, if I can't, I fail. <laughs> oh, no, I reacted so, on the fly, and I, I curtailed those uh, attempts to send people to the moon and it would explain why <laughs> and things like that. But that the, the, yeah. the, 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 the ability for them to repeatedly go back to the book saying, well, no, it says this. And I would say, no, this is the interpretation that we're going to go with. Uh, so I did curtail it right back. And as far as knowing the book, I read the book from cover to cover and we could quote every well, sentence good. in it. So it's not like I didn't know the rules. And that's oh, okay. why I didn't like it because I didn't know the rules. And I'm like, well, why are they allowing this? So I became very, um, well, may, may, maybe slightly uh, prejudiced against the whole psionic Not system. Not slightly. Yeah, no. hugely uh, psionic. Yeah. Uh, but, but to Bill's defense, he is probably one of the only DMs that I played with that understood the rules. A lot of the others did not. Yeah. Yeah, it's common. They won't even allow them in their game. It's sad. It's a wasted opportunity. The fact that you chose to take it on, Bill, is fantastic. You know, that's 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 kudos to you. Well, I let him try it repeatedly, and and I think I even told Lou, dude, all right, you're not sending people to the moon, okay? That wasn't and, me. That was DJ. Was it DJ? Yes, oh, yeah, that's right, too. It was. Yeah, well, I could see the moon. Really? Okay. Yeah, he was, he was usually high, though, whenever, whenever yeah, we were playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah very, yeah. You know, I mean, in, in DJ's defense, still pretty creative for being – you know, obliterated. Um, I the the whole AD and D thing. Well, AD and D almost had this this feel like it was cobbled together, like it was bits and pieces of a multitude of articles written by Gary Gyjax or some other folks. And then, like like I, I think one of you said, Psionics was kind of like an afterthought. I think, think if I remember correctly, it was tucked in the back of the book. It was, yeah, right after the Bard. You know, because the bard was in the yeah. back of the book too. Yeah. Um, and it harkens back to that sci-fi, that pulpy sci-fi influence that uh, that D and D had back in the day. I, th- I think a, a lot of a lot of folks misinterpreted it in that D and D was 
kind of inspired by Tolkien and certain there was some certainly there was some inspiration that came from Tolkien, but most of it was the you know, those old kind of pulp magazines, you know, mm-hmm. the short stories in those, like amazing tales and, you know, the whatnot stuff Robert E. Howard or H.P. Lovecraft Ooh. would well, would, uh, would put in those, yep, you know? Very much so. And yeah. and a lot of the game mechanics originally um Gary did mostly tactical games. That's what he was, you know, that in the group that he was with for, that was he was huge about. So that's where a lot of that math came from, was was bled over from all the tactical games he was playing. Oh, the weapon speeds. Yeah. Um, Hey, I like the weapon speeds. They were fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Said no one ever. (laughs) Oh, we used to use them all the time. It was a way I could screw over the mages. It was fantastic. As oh if they God, couldn't get screwed over enough, just walk up and poke them once with a sharp stick, and they're down for count. So, <laughs> so what do you what do you think of Five E's attempt at psionics? Um. Well, I, you're asking all these questions. I actually I talked about on the podcast. Um. I think uh, in terms of psionics, I you know, the first attempt for Five E was classes to replicate what they did in third. And uh, a lot of people said it was, again, overpowered, okay? Um, but outside of overpowered, um, there was just so much that they threw into it. It was a hodgepodge. When I went through and I reviewed it, it wasn't focused. I mean, sure, they were focused. They had, like, their scion and their psionic warrior, and they, they looked focused by the classes, but they really weren't. <laughs> they were really, you could still do everything. And then when they kind of rescinded that and they came back with their new Unearthed Arcana, which is the stuff that made it into uh, Tasha's, I believe, where they basically added bits and pieces to the other classes, then they kind of went back to uh, like a a second edition kind kind of thing, a little bit like first edition, second edition thing. And I think that that kind of didn't work. Either. <laughs> I think that um, in both of those situations, I, I just don't think uh, I, I don't I don't think that either one of those was implemented particularly well. I, I, I don't mean to rip on anyone or be negative. I think I think they could have been implemented in better in other ways. You know, um, if you're going to implement it, for instance, psionics fits really, really good with either the, uh, the monk class or it fits in very good with the sorcerer class or it fits very good with the warlock class mm-hmm. i think in one of those three classes as subclasses i think they would work i agree with that um, i agree with that uh, maybe as a fighter the fighters as well a fighter subclass if he's solely limited to telekinetics the concept of a fighter using telekinetic abilities with their combat abilities keeps the character grounded in a physicality that a lot of the magic doesn't keep them grounded in. So to me, that's where that fits, if that makes any sense. I think biokinetic abilities, abilities that allow characters to control body processes, I think that fits in very strongly with the monk. I think that that's superb, the mind over body thing. So I think it fits very well with the monk class. Now you look at the mental abilities. I mean, if there's any current class that fits mental abilities, isn't it the sorcerer class? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Yep. So I think that if you were to go in those directions and made them subclass, and then theoretically you don't even need um, a separate psionic system if you fit within the 
the paradigm created by fifth edition, you can just select your spell list to create, create, excuse me, you can create the same thing with the current systems and you don't need to add psionics and still get that flavor you want. So but, that's, but they're going to add it anyways, because that's, that's a new book. Pardon? They're going to add it anyways, because that's another book. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> So do you do you but, think we're we're moving towards some uh some psionics rules for like five or five point five or just do you think it'll be uh something uh relegated to just specific subclasses? Wow. That's like asking me if Linux is ever gonna be a full desktop OS. Uh <laughs> yeah. uh who I think. If I were a betting person, I would say no, um, because it's a company and they're driven by profit. I think there's a lot of people that feel that psionics don't fit in with the game. And so in that situation, it's not going to be necessarily a huge profit driver. If you can have people, and you know, there's, there is an open source nature to the 5e game now, which will kind of prevent that from ever um, gelling into something that will make them make some money on it. <laughs> so. Um, if you were to ask me, I would say, unfortunately, not. Now, I know you must have hybridized psionics for your own game. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hear it. You know, what did you change and why? Did you keep anything the same? Well, first of all, um, hybrid psionics are built from the ground up. Okay, the system was built with psionics. There is no magic in the hybrid system. There are only psionics. Psionics, cinematic abilities, and descriptive abilities. You guys are familiar with the cinematic abilities, right? Yep. <laughs> the, the, uh, the trademark weapon, the unlimited ammunition, um, all of those things that are crazy. Well, there are several disciplines. They're called aspects in hybrid. There's telekinetic abilities telepath, uh, mentalic abilities, uh, biokinetic abilities, and what I call correspondent abilities. Correspondent abilities allow you to modify space or time. And so each one of those four abilities is based on <laughs> meters, kilograms, meters, and quantum physics. So right off the bat, um, you're limited in your current gravity will. So a lot of stuff. So it, it, things are very defined in terms of science, but they're written into the rules that way, but hidden from the players, so the players don't have to deal with the physics of it. So right off the bat, so what'll happen is um, when you go to do any mentalic ability, everything in hybrid, there are no savings throws in hybrid. Everything is a task roll to hit. If you get a everything. So if you wanted to use a mentalic ability on a Dungeons and Dragons character you would roll a hit and your difficulty rating would be their ability score. So for instance, if you telekinetically wanted to control someone, you would, the difficulty rating would be their strength. Uh, if you wanted to ment mentally control someone, then their de defense rating or their quote unquote armor class would be um, their will. Um, one of the things that we have is, I don't believe in the charisma app, this is gonna take a lot of people, I believe, Charisma is a bad ability and shouldn't exist in the Dungeons and Dragons game. However, the perception ability should replace it. Charisma is a skill. Perception, how many times do you use it? It's so often used 
that D&D didn't want to change their paradigm, but yet they added passive perception based on wisdom. Right? <laughs> in the hybrid system, perception is a major ability. If you want to make your opponent see something that's not there, you have to overcome their perception. So basically what it does is when you take the, the, the hybrid mental system, mentalic system, or biokinetic system, if it's biokinetic, you overcome their constitution because you're overcoming their body's inherent defenses, right? So everything targets one of the six ability scores in the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons game. And the cool thing is, it gives a reason for the ability scores because they pretty much took that away. <laughs> yeah. Right. Everything's based on modifiers now. What? What? The, the only reason you have an ability score is to generate a modifier. But when you have everything as an attack, then it actually gives you a reason to think about: Well, do I want a fifteen or a sixteen? Right. It makes a difference because that makes it five percent harder to hit you with a metallic attack. So that's probably the biggest hybridization that I can think of is, is that. The other thing is psionic abilities suck your stun away, your, your hit points away. So depending on how strong an ability is, and abilities are defined of whether they modify the story a little bit, modify the story a lot, destroy the game world. This, and depending on the cost of it, they, can, they run in the cost from one to 10. And that's the number of points of stun it costs your character to use that ability. So it, it, it adds the drama to, okay, what, if an ability, and now here's a cool thing. What if you have an ability that's an above a level to heal someone for 1d10 points of damage, but then it causes five points of damage to you and you use it? That's awesome. Yeah. Right? So think I, I think that's awesome. That adds a flavor to it. So by adding that, then by subtracting their hit points whenever they use an ability, that makes it a more strategic and story-driven decision rather than I'm gonna keep blasting them with all the blast all day. So I would say that those are the primary things that I did to hybridize five even size. Now I haven't used it yet. Um, I've got four NPCs currently running that are all psionic NPCs where I use those abilities. Uh, we've had one encounter with them and the PCs are, two of them are intrigued and the rest of them are scared. <laughs> so I think we're in good shape. <laughs> there you go. So sorry, I get all passionate about it when I talk about it, obviously. <laughs> no, so. it, it just seems to me like you just kind of whipped it together. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool, the other cool, other thing I like about it, I'm sorry, my horn, but like a mentalic ability, you don't just mentally blast someone. You can either affect their thoughts, their dreams, their perceptions, their drives, their movements, or I forget the other one. And it's based on neural traces, neural physiology. Everything is considered a different trace and you're manipulating a trace. So when you hit someone, instead of doing mental damage, you hit them and you discombobulate them for a round. Because what was I doing? It's almost like they smoke pot and they forgot what they were going to do. So, <laughs> you know... Tactically, they lose their attacks for a round. But from a story standpoint, what was I doing again? So it has a definite flavor to it that's a little bit different than just hitting them for damage or controlling them. The other thing is psionics, some of them are uh, in hybrid. Some of them are, um, you have to concentrate on them to use them. And those are called dynamic because you're constantly, I borrow that word from biology, 
you dynamically power. It requires energy to constantly put energy into them. Mm -hmm. Whereas other ones are static. You hit them once and then you're out and then you can go do something else. So that's kind of the way. See, I could get on, I could talk for hours. But, so um, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, so say, I like it. That's, that's how I hybridize cyanics for my ear. That sounds awesome. So we, you tell tell our listeners a little bit about uh, hybrid, and then ite. Ite is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things yeah. to play with, and <laughs> well, I'm dying to use it in a Marvel superheroes game with the old TSR rules because I know, I oh, know yeah. it would be epic. Yep, it's designed. I mean, between Fudge. And Marvel superheroes, both of those games are perfectly designed for Ete. Absolutely. I mean, as you guys know, you know, hero points, you know, you have hero points. And there's a lot of game systems that do it, you know. Um, but the, the difference with a lot of those systems are they, again, they have a mechanistic definition, right? So it's great if you have a mechanistic de- or you get to re-roll dice or you get to add some points. And that's great. But the problem is that that's pretty stifling. Right, it's 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 stuck in mechanics, and it doesn't allow you to meta game beyond that. A lot of people, I've seen a lot of podcasts where people talk down on meta gaming, but I disagree. I think if you have a system for meta gaming and everybody uses it, it's fantastic, and it adds a level to the game that's phenomenal. And that's what the ETA gaming engine is designed for, right? As you guys know, it's specifically designed to take any game system and put it on top of the mechanics. Um, we've been using it in my fifth edition game, and the players were very dubious about it at first. You're ruining Dungeons and Dragons. You're going to ruin the balance. Not a game goes by. I don't have players. Get your point of ute. We're going to need it. And sure <laughs> enough, you know they they go to they go to seduce the they go to seduce the barmaid. It's really really helpful to have that point of ute to help them out. Um, for the listeners listening, basically what ute allows you to do. Is it allows you to turn a failure into a success or a success into a critical success. And if it's a critical success, you as players, you can dogpile on a critical success and just keep amping up the level of macho macho-ness until you run out of ETA or you run against the genre of the game. <laughs> That's pretty much the only limits to the game of, of ETA. Um, how far you can go with it. Oh, is that how it works? I believe we barely touched on that. <laughs> <laughs> I went through all my ETA chips pretty damn quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to introduce them to the system, I did the same thing I did for you guys at Gen Con. I gave them 10 points of ETA for their zero session. I did a zero set. We did our zero session, and then we did a 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3, specifically to get them used to using ETA. Because a lot of them are like, well, I don't want to hit, I don't want, but I had my son who's only known the ETA gaming engine since he was six and he's 13 now. So having him there to show them how he could just do whatever he wanted every single time he did something, everyone's like, you can do that. You can do that. You can do that. Just like we had a Gen Con, I had a ringer playing with you guys. There's always a ringer playing with you guys to push that. So yeah, no, he sat next to me. <laughs> Say what? He sat next to me. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you, as long as you have someone to push the rules after one or two times, people get the hang of it very, very quickly. So yeah. 
Now you're podcasting. I think you're podcasting a little more frequently or does it, or am I wrong yeah. than, than you were before? Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Well, it's your fault. <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically what happened was, you know, I met you guys a couple of years ago. Um, and um, over the years, you know, I've been running these games at Gen Con for like 20 plus years. And so um, over the years, I've kind of grown this group of following. You know, I have, you know, I run five games. Three of those games are set for people that come back every year to play it. So, like, I've got the Ryan there up in Wisconsin. I have, I have all these different people, these different groups of people that come to play. Um, I can use their name, I ask. Anyway, and uh, <laughs> so I have all of these people that come to play. And um, what ends up happening is, when's the game going to be published? When can we buy the rules? How do you do this? How do you decide how you design your characters? You know, how do you make, you know, a lot of questions have come up because they've had a lot of fun with the game. And so originally what I started doing is I had this hybrid theory, I had the hybrid theory blog. And if you go back and look, it goes back way back. It's like, it's been there a long time. But um, I realized no one looks at blogs anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Tough to read while you're driving. Pardon? It's tough to read a blog while you're driving. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> well, my kids will tell me I'd rather watch a video. I'd rather listen to a podcast. And so um, in listening to you guys, it kind of took the fear away. Because I'm like, what am I going to say? Who cares what I have to say? You know, there's a lot of that, what do I have to offer the community thing? Um, but you guys enjoying the game and having a podcast of your own kind of inspired me a little bit. You know, you guys talk about inspiration on your podcast a lot. You know, it inspired me to to want to try something different. And so the first couple of podcasts are such garbage, but it was really <laughs> it was really important for me to mine, not yours. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but but what it forced me to do is to figure out what did I want to do, what is what I want to talk about, what's the voice that I wanted to bring. And now I'm kind of into a groove now. Where I'm like, what do I want to talk about for 10 minutes? What do I want to talk about for 10 minutes? What do I want to talk about for 10 minutes? And so that's kind of, that's why you notice they're a little more frequent now. So what I'll do is I'll line up a boatload of them and then I'll schedule. I got like six of them lined up. So I'm good for six months. (laughs) But uh, um, yeah, like the next four or five of them are all about either magicless fighting and magicless damage, or they're about... um, um, psionics, further extensions of my psionics game and how I'm going to use it. Like, I have one podcast episode dedicated to each of the four schools of psionics, and then I have one dedicated to how I would build a psionics class in 5th edition. You have so. my permission to use my point of view at any point. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll say that, but, well, I think I think your points are valid. Well. You know, but I think that um, I think that um, I think the best way to, to, to do with it is, is to have a collaborative relationship. Obviously, you and Lou have a collaborative relationship. You know, <laughs> Lou pushes it as far as you could go, and you tell him to shut the hell up. That's pretty collaborative. That works pretty well. Yeah, it it it. it well, I I'm pretty much on the winning side almost all the time. So yeah, I I can go with that. Sometimes <laughs> I, I get a win every once in a while. Yeah, he'll squeak a little one through there every now and again. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, but I think it's I think it's a legit. Uh, you know, I kind of to me, I use psionics. Um, I use them in um, a Victorian era campaign. 
because I have, like I talked about, I, I have a whole race of people that are psionic people. So imagine if you have an entire race of everybody can read everybody else's mind. What do you do with that? How would you build a society based on that? When everybody can read everybody else's mind. And so from that kernel, I build out there. So I built my character abilities and the character classes out from that. And then how does that society interact with a magical society like you would find in Waterdeep? That's a whole other question, right? Yep. So, you know, that's, you know, I think that's how, you know, I, you know, I plan on implementing, you know, psionics in Dungeons and Dragons. And that's how I think they can be into, I think is you, if you as a director are introducing them for a reason, something that you want to explore, it's totally worth the effort. If you're just employing it because it's another system that the player wanted, I'd hesitate against that. Because what's the point of creating something unique if you don't know where you're going to go with it? So that's just the way I look at it. There you go. So I'm going to count this as a win. Sorry. Sorry, Scott. It's a win for us. That's right, Scott. I, you know, I, I counted as a win as well. And, uh, I, I Bill, knew Bill's a little bit on board. He just won't admit to it. Yeah. He's, uh, Bill, Bill doesn't like change. I don't know if any, anybody's noticed that he's, <laughs> he's your classic he's a, D personality. He's a, a little set in his ways. Um, I, I, I don't know why you said I embraced five E wholeheartedly. You did. And I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. Wholeheartedly. Hey, remember, wholeheartedly, even the new psionic stuff's in 5e. Yeah. Yeah, it's not there yet. It's there. Not yet. No, it's not. Tasha's is an optional <laughs> rule book, remember? God damn it. <laughs> Says it on nearly every page. Optional. And that's Hugh Drop Matthias Johansson from the Hybrid Gaming. You can find the links to the Hybrid Theory podcast and the Facebook page in the description below. Go check it out and improve your game. Thanks for joining us. See you all next time in the dojo. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day.